19 back in our text now. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Notice the complete dependence upon the Father. He and the Father are one in heart. Every creature is unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. In this extended discussion, Jesus explained to the religious leaders some of the nature of his relationship and work with God the Father. Because of this, we have a lot of information regarding the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus explained that he, as God the Son, does nothing independently. He was and is fully committed to the Father's will. This submission is by choice, not by coercion or by an inferior nature. Now here's Pastor Rob with today's teaching. The theme of this whole gospel is that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Yes, he didn't make himself equal. He was. That was the whole point of this whole gospel, to show those things, to prove, if you will, to justify His claim of deity. Jesus is God. And the cults hate that. The Jehovah's Witnesses hate that. The Mormons hate that. Many hate that. Because no one has claimed to be God other than Jesus. Well, they've made the claims, but they can't back it up. See, Jesus can back it up. And he proved it by rising again from the grave. For my sin and for your sin. He proved it. Many infallible proofs were done when Jesus rose from the grave. And shouldn't they, as as they were accusing him, you you make yourself God, and and they they were upset with him, shouldn't they have been looking for the Messiah, seeing that the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament scriptures have been prophesying about his coming for hundreds of years? Shouldn't they have been looking? Were they sleeping? Yes, business was good. They had everything, all their ducks in a row. Everything was lined up. The church was looking great. All the outside was looking great. The pews looked great. Everybody's looking, oh, how are you? I'm doing great, Agatha. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Agnes. You know, everything looked fine. And yet inside death, inside death, what did Jesus say? Remember when he rode in on the donkey into Jerusalem the week before he would be crucified? 
He said, if you had known, even you, especially in this year day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus held them accountable for that moment, for that moment. But why didn't they check and, and see if Jesus fit the bill, if, to see the scriptures? You know, what are the qualifications of Jesus, of the Messiah that they had been prophesying about, that the prophets had been prophesying for, for hundreds of years? What are the qualifications What are the hallmarks that they could have researched for themselves at that time? Because remember, the New Testament hadn't been written. All they had was the Old Testament. Think of that, because we're just going to look at the Old Testament scriptures this morning, and we're going to see, just looking at those, they should have known this was the one. They should have known. So what things should they have looked for? Well, there's. they knew that the Messiah would have to be born of a virgin. That he would be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth the king of kings. And he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin, the virgin, not a virgin, the virgin shall will conceive and bear a son. And he would come from the line of Judah through King David. You remember the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Isaiah 9 verse 7. That he would come from the line of Judah. That he would be the branch that would come out of the dry ground from Jesse, David's father. That he would come up out of Egypt, prophesied by Hosea, and and confirmed for us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. He would dwell in Galilee. He did. He dwelled in Nazareth with his father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. He helped his father in the carpentry business. He was there until his father at some point had died. And now as Jesus' ministry begins, he sets up shop, in a sense, in Capernaum. Right there on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's another place we visit. The Galilee of the Gentiles had seen a great light. They should have been looking for these things. He would also heal the lame and give sight to the blind and heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah speaks of those verses. He would be despised and rejected. Isaiah 53. He would be equal to God the Father. He would be equal to God the Father. Isaiah 9, verse 6, the one that we know so well, which we'll get into in just a moment. Deuteronomy 18, he was the prophet that would come. But we're going to focus on just that last star there, that last bullet, that Jesus would be equal with the Father. What did it say in Isaiah 9, verse 6? I love this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For unto us, 700 years before he would even be incarnate through the Virgin Mary, it says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And underline this if you you have it open. (laughs) Mighty God. This child, this baby, mighty God, and it gets even better, everlasting father. Are you kidding me? This baby, this child, the everlasting father, that means that he's deity. Well, duh. It's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. He's God. Oh, I love that. Love it. And what does it say in Deuteronomy? And again, these are just Old Testament scriptures. Where were they looking? Weren't they looking? You make yourself God. Well, 
I am God. Have you searched the scriptures and seen that those things are spoken of me? They should have. Was he born in Bethlehem? Was he born of the Virgin Mary? All they had to do was go back and look. Hey, did, was he, were, you were a virgin, right, Mary? Yeah, I never had any time with Joseph. Yeah, I was, the angel came to me and told me what happened. and Everything happened. I was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, I came out of uh, Egypt. We went down there because Herod was trying to kill me. And so my father and mother took me down there. And he brought me back up to Nazareth. Came from Nazareth. I was, we were in the Galilees, in the Galilee region. Yeah, I fit all those things. Yeah, check mark, check mark, check mark. So what's your problem? <laughs> what does it say in Deuteronomy? I love this. Deuteronomy 18, 30, uh, 18 verse 15 talks about the prophet that would come. We'll look at this. Um, actually, let me just read it to you. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all that is desired of the Lord. In verse 17 it says, And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. He will, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whatever, whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So this prophet that was spoken of in Deuteronomy is Jesus. It even confirms this in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 22. Where, this, where that scripture was fulfilled. But what about an exodus? Remember when Moses was wandering around in the wilderness and he saw that burning fiery bush that wasn't consumed? That was the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate visitation speaking to Moses. And Moses, you remember, what did he say? He says, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, Moses said to God in the fiery bush, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And he says, This is what you shall say to them. I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall speak to the children of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. Now you know that even just in the book of John, we had seven I am statements. And this was no mistake. Again, they were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus made those statements, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine. He was equating himself to that burning bush experience. The one who said, I am, I am, I am. Jesus said, I am all of those things. I am equal. I am God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that what John said in the first chapter? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is none other than Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, it says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And we know that phrase very well, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Who is that middle person? It's Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God. That's who he is. That's his name. In John... Chapter 10, now, you know, these are Old Testament scriptures. 
But even in John's gospel in chapter 10 and verse 30, it says, Jesus speaking, he says, I and my father are one. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him because he made himself equal with God, or so they thought. And Jesus said to them, many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. But in the latter part of that verse, or in that chapter, in verse 37, he says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And therefore, again, they sought to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. So other than these references in John, everything was in the Old Testament. They had no excuse No excuse whatsoever. What about after Jesus died? After his crucifixion and and after his resurrection? Shouldn't they have checked that out too? (laughs) Didn't the scripture say that he would be crucified and killed? Psalm 22 tells us that he'd he'd be pierced before crucifixion was even invented by the Persians. It tells us. A thousand years before Jesus was born that he would be crucified, that he'd be killed... In Isaiah 53, it tells us that. And Daniel 9, verse 26, tells us that he would be cut off. Not only that, but he would be killed for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53 tells us. And even that he would rise again. In Psalm 16, verse 10, they had no excuse. And what does it tell us in Philippians? Again, one of my favorite verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which is the most horrifying death sentence to man at the time. The worst It would have been better just to be shot in the heart. Something quick. Ah, but not the Romans. If they really didn't like you, they could keep you on that cross for days. They could feed you and give you supports and just sit there and watch you suffer. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, given him the name above, which is every name. Every name. He has the name above every name. Hallelujah. Amen. His name above all. Over everything. Over everyone. Is there anyone more incredible than Jesus? Is there any president? Is there any ex-president? No. No one compares. They are all human beings, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who loves you and loves me, the one who paid the price. Oh, do you love him? Do you love him? Do you know that he loves you more than you can possibly understand? The more I walk with him, the more I'm understanding more of his love for me, and it melts me more and more. Pretty soon I'm just going to be a puddle. (laughs) 
Verse 19, back in our text now, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Notice the complete dependence upon the Father. He and the Father are one in heart. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater things than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to, to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son. He's committed all judgment to the Son. Do you know there's coming a time that after the rapture of the church and the tribulation period occurs, that at the end, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ, that at the end... Of that thousand year reign, there's going to be a great white throne judgment. And who's going to be seated on that throne? Jesus. God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. What does it say in Revelation 20? It says, John says, I saw a great throne, a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the whole earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And they're judged according to those books that it tells us. And that death and hell are, were raised up and brought into this throne room. And they all were cast into the lake of fire. Everyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the eternal damnation. It's the last place you go if you're not a believer. In Psalms 9, verse 7, it says that the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world. In what? In anger? Out of jealousy? <laughs> no, in righteousness. He will judge the world in righteousness, and he will administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. In Romans 2, it says, God will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life, listen to this, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, what is their lot? It's indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul who does, not, or who does evil. So the... Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, we can't claim to be worshiping the Father if we reject Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people today who say, well, I, I, I worship God, I believe in God, but nah, not Jesus Christ. Well, you got a problem because the Bible tells us. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. He who hates me hates the Father, Jesus said. And John also wrote, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ, Christ has both the Father and the Son. It is like a package deal. You can't just have... You, just, you can't just have the Father and say, well, I'll find another Messiah. No, it's his only means of salvation. You reject him and you got nothing. But if you receive him, then you receive him who sent him, and that is God the Father. That's the way it works. 
I don't make the rules. God makes the rules. And that's what he said. Do you believe it? Are you sharing that with your family and friends? Because many of them go to churches where they don't teach these things. Oh, so glad you're here. Have a, have a seat in the front row. We got some tea for you. And we got a, a game controller you can play with while you're waiting for the message. And, you know, uh, you know we don't want to offend anybody by talking about sin and judgment. And, you know, hey, you know what? That, that's part of the gospel. It's good news. Because first, there's bad news. I need to hear the bad news. That's why when we go out into the community next week and we, we begin doing that, we, we, we can't just tell them the good news. Yes, we do have to tell them the good news, but we have to tell them the bad news. And that's the hard part. Nobody likes to share that. I don't either. I'd much rather just talk about the glory and the blessings. But I have to tell them the truth. When I got saved, it was because somebody put the... <laughs> I was living in sin at the time, and this gentleman that I, that I knew, he put the finger right on it. The Holy Spirit did. He, he was reading from the Bible. You've heard me say this before. But it just crushed me. For the first time in my life, as he's reading about the sin that I was indulging in, he's reading it, and my, my heart's just breaking, realizing that I, I'm held accountable now. <laughs> and God spoke to me very clearly. I was on my way to hell that day, and God says, Bob, but you're on the highway to heaven now, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Are you on the highway to heaven? <laughs> Most of you are already there, so you don't have to worry. You're already confirmed. Your ticket has been stamped confirmed. But there are some of you who are playing games and you're not really sure. Make your calling and your election sure today. Don't be playing fancy and footloose with this kind of stuff. This is real. It's very important. And God loves you so much. He, he did everything for you. All we have to do is believe. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything but believe. What did the Bible say? Someone asked him, Lord, what work must we do for eternal life. And he says, you have to do one thing. One work you have to do. That's to believe on the, on the Son. You believe on me whom God has sent. That's it. That's what you need to do. Is that so hard? Yeah, it is actually. It's easy but yet profound because we have to come to an agreement. We have to acknowledge our own sinful nature. We have to do, do business with the inner man, and that's never easy, is it? Doing business with the inner man is the whole rub of the whole thing. We have to turn away from those things, and we have to embrace him and believe what he did for us. Amen? So verse 24 in our text, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. I am so glad that I've been passed from death to life. I know it, and I'm so glad because no one can take it away from me. No one. The government can't take it away from me. They can burn me at the stake. They can, they can hunt me down. They can do whatever they want, but they can't take that. Didn't Jesus say, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and also cast the soul into hell. Rather, fear him. So you can take this tent and do whatever you want with it. But as soon as I pass, I'm in, the, I'm in glory. That is the reality. That's the fact that you must know and have the assurance of. You have to have the assurance. How are you going to survive in this world unless you have assurance of your salvation? The Bible teaches that you can have an assurance. Not an I hope so or maybe, I don't know. No. 
you can stand on the rooftop and scream it. Oh, may the God give us that boldness. No matter who's in front of us, we tell them the truth in love. And we can do it in love. Never be ashamed of Jesus. Never be ashamed of the gospel. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.